Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast channel that puts members on mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Featured in this session, new perspectives on data. From big data to thick data to human experience is Tracy Brower, PhD, who is the principal of applied research and consulting at Steelcase. And Rich is Fording, Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Applied Research and Consulting for Steelcase. Hey everyone, my name is David Reeves and I'm with Callison RTKL and I'm here to introduce our speakers. We have Tracy Brower from Steelcase and we have um, Rich is Fording from Steelcase also. And they'll be talking about the new perspective of data, big data, to thick data, to human experience. So I'm going to hand it off to them. Thank you for attending. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we have a couple seats here up front. If someone wants to come up front, we also have headphones in the back. So with lunch here, I found it's very loud. A lot of people are using the headphones. So very clean headphones if you want to use them. Pre lightly used. Um, so thanks for coming to our session. Thank you for Callison RTKL sponsoring it. Please make note emergency exits. You've seen this a few times already. So um, uh, we're going to talk about getting grounded on types of data. And uh, you know, our keynote speaker kind of set the tone yesterday. The very end of his presentation, he said, if you're not a data-driven company, you're in trouble. And uh, I think a lot of companies have been going in that direction the last three to five years. But everyone's kind of swirling in it right now. We want to talk about the new types of data and how it transcends to work experience. So there's big data. And a lot of people, that's when they start thinking about data is big data. But have you ever heard the term thick data? So if you get your phones out right now and do a wiki search on thick data, you know, that's the qualitative portion. And the pendulum's swinging back to qualitative. When big data started really coming out as the kind of the force, the focus, it probably swung a little too far to left in terms of work experience. And we're seeing a big kind of shift back to qualitative data. We're strong believers in mixed methodologies, mixed types of, of gather dating. So why now? The key is you got to measure what's really important. And there's a lot of measurements going on right now in terms of the workplace. But what's super, super critical? What's mission critical in terms of measuring? Because you can get lost in the sea of data. In this new world of, you know, instead of the highest paid person's opinion, you ever seen that term HPPO and the Harvard Business Review is referenced? It's really the democratization of decision making about who's the best storyteller, who has the best data. And it's a great opportunity to really present your story in an evidence-based way instead of being a, a the most heavily paid or highest paid. So we have a little interaction here. I'm going to read this to you, and then we'll have a little Q&A here. So the question is, to what extent is your organization demanding new levels of data in order to inform decision making? So A, to a great extent. B, to some extent, it's mixed. C, nothing has really changed for us despite all the hype. So who would answer that question with A? Raise your hand. We have a couple. We have three. To some extent, it's mixed. A little less, a little more, I mean. Nothing has really changed for us despite all the hype. So we're all kind of on this journey of trying to you know, move toward a data-driven company. Next question. 
To what extent do you feel your organization is prepared to respond to the coming wave of demands for data? A, to a great extent. B, somewhat, we're figuring it out and responding to new demands in new ways. And C, honestly, we have a long way to go to bring the data together and tell a story with it. So raise your hand if you think you're at A, to a very great extent. We have one person. B, somewhat, most people. And C, honestly, we have a long way to go. Few people going, all right? <laughs> That's good that you guys agree, right? So we have a different lens when we think about data. And you know, this chart right here is an old chart that's been talked about for years. It's printed by Carnegie Mellon in terms of where does the average company invest their money. And it's about 80% in terms of people, salary, and benefits, 10 12% in real estate and tech. We can't forget at the end of the day, it's all about people. That's the so what. What's the measurement driving from the people's perspective? Not from the real estate perspective, not from the technology perspective, but from the people perspective. What's the data telling us about human experience? So there's kind of a hierarchy of data, and there's different charts out there, but we like this one. It's pretty simple. And it's at the very bottom, it's the raw data. And then when you get to the information level, it's got some meaning, which there's some conclusions to it. But really, what's the actionable insight? What's the application specific to the customer? And that's where we want to play. We think that's the biggest opportunity. And a lot of companies are swirling right here for the sake of data. But the real opportunity is getting high up and doing true sense making. So I'm going to turn over to Tracy, and she's going to talk about the importance of context. Thank you. The clicker. So we think it's really about, we've been talking so much about data at this conference, and we think it's not just about the data, but about the meaning we bring to it, to it. not just about sensing, but about sense making on behalf of the people. So please hear that as kind of a strong um, message from us today. In our creativity research, we've been identifying some from twos, some places where we need to shift. And our new 360 magazine and our 360 focus are both in our space. So if you want that research, it's available to you. But we're seeing some really key shifts. One is this shift from hierarchy to network, where organizations used to get things done through the hierarchy and through the process of who reported to who. And it's really becoming more about the network, not just about the internal network, but about the external network as well. Another area of shift we're seeing is from a creative role to creative capability. So um, many of you as designers have been thought of as creative. The rest of us have maybe been um, shut down over the years. Oh, you're not very creative, or only certain roles are creative. This is about a shift to a creative capability. We all are required to be more creative than we've ever been, and the demands for creativity are higher than they've ever been. Why? Because problems are more complex than they've ever been, and we're really needing to deal with things on a whole new creative level. The other thing we know about creativity is that creativity fuels innovation. In innovation fuels productivity. So that creativity is the fuel for every place that we're going. Technology as status and technology as tool is a shift as well. We used to think about, ah, best and brightest people got coolest new technology. And really, it's about technology as a tool. We just finished a session on creativity, and we saw lots of organizations saying they're all ready to the tool side. But we see this in some organizations that are still making that shift. And then finally, from a rule-based culture, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, to an empowered culture where we set a framework overall and then we really allow people to run with it and make their decisions within that broader framework. These are the shifts that we think are so critical in order for us to be successful moving forward. This relates to data because these are the kinds of things that we should be paying attention to with our data. These are the kinds of cultures that we want to create from a data and evidence-based perspective. So here's another question for you. I'll read it and then I'll ask you for your responses just like Rich did. To what extent is work changing in your organization? 
A, we're in a whole new place, and we have been for a while. B, sort of, the future arrives at different times and different places in our company. And C, not so much. We're hearing about the changes, but not experiencing them too much yet. How many for A? You've got tons of change going on. You're in a whole new place. Two or three, four people. How about B? Sort of, different places at different times, ah, the majority of you. Anybody for C? Not so much. Wait, do we have our representatives from that? You're looking at each other. You're going to vote together? You went up halfway. Awesome. Good. Yeah, so we're on this journey together, and it sounds like many of us are in kind of this somewhat place and moving along. So we have a lot we can learn from each other. Here's how we think about making data work. So again, we've been hearing all about data, but we want to think about how do we make it work. One of the things we know we need to do is discern signal and noise. There's a terrific book by Nate Silver that talks about the difference between signal and noise. We've got so much noise that data can become not just a drug. We know there are people who love data, and more data is always better. But data can become overwhelming, and it can be actually become a burden. And so what we need to do is figure out, what am I listening to? There was a um, client that we worked with at a global technology company. And she was getting so many phone calls from people who were upset with the facility that she literally stopped answering her phone. She had so much noise and so much data coming at her. And for a while, she was tracking what their issues were and what their concerns were and what their um, problems were. And finally, she just kind of gave up and said, I don't even know what to do with this. It turns out that what she was hearing was noise. The real issue that people were concerned about was some leadership changes and some organizational changes that had to do with the culture. And what they were expressing was um, concern about the physical environment, which for me is a really good example of the difference between signal and noise. Another example, um, I worked with a colleague years ago, I'll never forget, her name was Annie, and she used to have to do this report for senior executive, um, uh, senior executive team that she was a member of on like an every other week basis. And so it was this long report and she put it together faithfully as a good corporate citizen over and over again. And halfway through the report, every time she did the report, she put a sentence that said, if you've read this far, please call me and I will send you $5. You know how often she had to do that? Like one time, like, yeah, it was just amazing. So data can become this thing that we look to, but we're not necessarily using it in a really smart way. So looking for signal and noise is about looking for frequency of effect. Are you seeing it a lot? It might be more of a signal than just noise. Are you seeing correlations, and is there significance to the data? Are you seeing it in a consistent pattern that starts to tell you a story? We talk about listening to the data and having those emerging trends come through the data. So that would be a suggestion in terms of referencing signal and noise. The other thing that we just did is a study with um, a mixture of HR, IT, real estate and facilities, CEOs, and COOs. And we found that these were the things that they were most concerned about. And these were things they were concerned about from the standpoint of their space and from the standpoint of their organization. What this suggests to us is that these might be the places to focus your data collection, interpretation, and consolidation. That if these are the major concerns, these are the things that could be driving your data collection and interpretation. The other thing we know, again, we've been hearing so much about data at this conference, but the other thing we know that's so important is the power of story. So what you do with the data, how you make sense of the data, not just sensing but sense-making, not just what but so what, that is the power. And you have so much power because you're in such an analytical, we all are in such an analytical field anymore because we can do so much with sensing um, place, that the power of persuading is really in the story building and the storytelling. 
So one of the things we like to think about is what is the story we want to tell at the back end, and therefore, what is the data we need to collect moving into it? What is the backward from perfect way to think about the data that we'll collect? Let's talk about storytelling just a second. When you hear a story, there are seven regions of your brain that are engaged in hearing that story versus just looking at a spreadsheet. And how many of us are looking at spreadsheets all the time and data is all over the place, but the story is really what matters the most in terms of what we do with it. A great story is genuine, but not too personal. It has a beginning and a middle and an end. And a great story invites um, imagination. And it's simple and descriptive. So how do you deal with that in your organization? Think about the data you've got. Think about the story you want to tell. And use that data to tell the story with integrity, right? Of course. But telling that story is a great way to persuade. We talked about the from to from our creativity research. We want to go from hierarchy to network, from technology as status to technology as tool, et cetera. These are tensions. These are some additional pieces that we developed in our creativity research. And these come together. These are both ands. So we know that we need to figure out how groups can collaborate and how individuals can have enough focus, how both ideas and action are supported, how we both optimize and evolve, and how we deal with both immersion and distance. When we think about creativity, a lot of times we think of not only about certain creative roles, but we also think about creativity as you know, lots of people in a colorful room with post-it notes and Sharpie markers, right? But we know that creativity is really not just about divergent thinking and group thinking. It's also about convergent thinking. It's not just about being kind of out there and collaborating. It's also about focus and respite and time away and distance from the problem. And so the reason this is important from a data perspective is that as you're thinking about using your data in creative and storytelling ways, these are tensions that you can um, start to balance. As we think about balancing these tensions and what we do in the work environment in order to do that, data can help us understand that too. How often are people using collaborative spaces versus focused spaces? How often are we able to really get projects not only from optimization to evolution? And so these are the kinds of data that we could be tracking in order to know whether we're balancing these tensions effectively. So what are our data-driven design principles? We believe that it's about emotional connection, partly. Emotional connection is about when you're in a work environment, you feel welcomed, you feel visually stimulated. There was a terrific session yesterday that talked about the match between data and um, neuroscience that NBBJ, I think, helped to um, really lead and uh, really brought some great research forward. And one of the things that we heard in that session is that in our typical corporate environments, our brains are extraordinarily bored. We're used to lots of stimulation. We're used to nature. We're used to kind of in our uh, 1.5 million years of evolution, we're used to something really different than sitting in chairs and um, in the kinds of offices that we're used to. And so we have this terrific opportunity to create emotional connection through more stimulation, through a welcoming environment, through an environment that has artifacts that are meaningful to people. Another element that we thought, think about is nurturing confidence. And when we um, give people more variety of spaces where they can do their best work, we start to nurture confidence. People start to feel less confident about the work that they can do if they don't have a great place to do it because they can't be as successful. And so when we give them variety and when we give them choice, um, we know from some of our engagement research as an example, when people are satisfied with their workplace, there's a significant correlation to better engagement. We also know from some of our engagement research that when people have more choice, there's a significant correlation to greater engagement. So nurturing confidence is about an idea of best place, providing the best place for people to do their best work and letting them have the choice from a cultural perspective. 
And finally, a fluid ecosystem. People are liquid and space should be liquid too in terms of the way that we move about and the way that we make sense of the work that we need to do in the place. And we know that space has a huge impact, right? There's no neutral on space. People can opt out. Either they'll opt out physically and not show up, or they'll opt out mentally and be present without necessarily bringing their best. And so we know it, we're preaching to the choir in terms of how important space is. So here's another question for you. To what extent is there an understanding of the critical nature of space in your company? A, totally. Space is broadly appreciated as a key driver of our overall success. B, we're working on it, educating, persuading, convincing our stakeholders. And C, we have a long way to go. It's a journey, right? How about A, how many for you're totally there? Oh my gosh, look at you. These are the people to network with after the session. There are about 10 of you in here. That's awesome. How about B, you're working on it. You're on the journey. Looks like about six or seven people. And we've got, do we have agreement here? I think we don't have agreement. All right. And how about C, we've got a long way to go. It's a journey, right? Nice. Excellent. So you, you three can talk to the first 10 and really, really get a good sense of it. So we're all on a journey together, and we've got an opportunity to learn. So here are our lessons learned. We think the mistakes to avoid as it relates to data are about data for its own sake. This is the story of the you know, person who did the report and nobody was reading it over and over again. So really thinking about the data and how, it, um, how it's important. And we think that it's all about the human experience. Sensing and all of, this, all of the ways that we can measure the physical space are about holding the space accountable to the people. It is not about holding the people accountable. Um, there's a group that we talked to, and there was a leader that was very, very defensive because her space had like 2% occupancy. And her facilities team kept coming to her and saying, what the heck is wrong with you? And she's, she, you know, you're not using your space. And she was hiring two more people and saying, we need more space. And they were saying to her, you can't have more space. You're not using your space. You don't value your space. And so they were holding her accountable to the space in a way that didn't allow her to have flexibility. The alternative would have been, gosh, your space must not be serving you. That's why we're not seeing that you're using your space. So it's always got to be about that human experience. It's always got to be about serving the people and holding the space accountable to the people and really paying attention to mixed methodologies, as Rich was talking about. We believe that this triangulation is a big deal. Quantitative data is so hot right now. And what we don't want to do is miss in that mix qualitative data, data that comes from ethnography, from observation, from surveys, from um, really understanding deeply from interviews or focus groups what people are, what people are going through. Because the quantitative data can tell us what. We also want to know why. And so that's the importance of mixing those two. And then finally, here are some of our lessons learned. We think it's about mixing thick data and big data and about building really an evidence-based culture. So Rich talked about that hippo decision-making, decision-making based on the highest placed person's opinion. And this is about really building an evidence-based culture, a culture where we're looking at the data in order to decide. And we're really telling a story and really able to use the data in that way and understanding that it's a journey and we can all learn from each other in the process. So I think we've got, do we have two minutes for questions? David, all right, awesome. What questions do you have for Rich and I? Wow, we have two whole minutes for questions. That's pretty great. <laughs> Anything? Anybody have a great story to tell about a report you do monthly that nobody reads? Awesome. Cool. Well, hey, have a great rest of your conference. Please remember to fill out your evaluation on the app, and we really appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. This concludes the Cornet Global Podcast on new perspectives on data. From big data to thick data 
to human experience. Want to record a What's Next podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.